in a world where workplaces are sometimes toxic for people and humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules, how do leaders who care create enlivened workplace cultures? This show has the answers. On Let's Make Work Human, we discuss how organizations can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. The path to how lies in unbreakable connections, clear purpose, and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old mindsets about the world of work. I'm Mo Carrick, and I'm a beekeeper, mother of adults, CEO, culture expert, award-winning entrepreneur, and best-selling author, and I'm joined on this show by my colleague and friend, awesome coach, mother of a toddler, award-winning creative, DEI facilitator, and millennial, May Rats. Together, we tackle teams that gossip, leaders who are bad for people, partnering while working, belonging, and so much more with an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for the human beings who work there. We're on a mission to stop the suck and restore humanity to work. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. Hi, Mo. Hello. How's it going over there? It's good. How's it going in Arizona? It's hot, but it's good. We're here to talk about happiness today. Happiness and work, fact or fiction? This is my question. Okay. Are we supposed to be happy at work? Yeah. Or not? That's not my answer. That's me. (laughs) Well. Now, this was also one of our shortest podcasts because I said, are we supposed to be happy at work? And you said, yes. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well. I know you have a lot of thoughts about this because people often think that you're in charge of making everybody happy at their works. <laughs> and that's, that's not true. actually your job. No, it's not my job. People say that though. They're like, everybody should be happy at work or aren't you the one that helps people be happy at work? And so I have a question for you because you work for me and with me in my company. So are you happy at work? Yeah. Every day? Uh, 85% of the time. I'm happy to work. I'm happy to do this work. Mm. And happy at work are different things. I was quite grumpy yesterday in our staff meeting. (laughs) No, not all the time. But just to be clear for everybody listening, what we think as a firm that people get happiness confused with is thriving. Um, If you've been to any of our workshops or you have like seen any of our work, that's what we're confusing you with. But if you're new here, that's what that's what we're seeing is that there's some overlap between thriving and happiness and that they are very different things and that they can coexist, but that we don't actually, it seems impossible that you'd be happy all the time, but that's not your question. You're happy as, can you be happy at work? Well, my question is more like, do you, is an expectation that we should be happy at work all the time? Because I think, and I'm, I'm thinking about this question a lot lately for two reasons. One is because employers and clients ask me that, is it my job to make sure my people are always happy? (laughs) <laughs> right? Because I, I think they feel like they can't possibly meet that expectation. Like they can't possibly make yeah. sure that people are happy every day. And I, I would tend to agree with them. But also there was recently an article about some research on happiness in Fast Company magazine, which I love to read because we were featured in it. I was featured in 1999, a long time ago in the dark ages. It'll so I'm very so loyal nice. to Fast Company. Um, but they wrote an interesting article about happiness and happiness at work. And they say something which we often say, which is that, you know, we tend to think of happiness as a transitory state, 
you know, it kind of comes and it goes. What their article points to is that happiness is actually an intentional choice, like you, mm. you choose. And I'm not sure that that is how it feels. Like I don't, I'm not sure that happiness feels like an intentional choice, but I do know that it's very much connected to our emotional intelligence, yeah. which is something we talk a lot about at work. So I think there is a certain amount of personal power in being happy, um, yeah. personal choice and personal power. I also think that that disregards a lot of systemic factors. <laughs> like you can't yeah. happy your way out of a bad system. Right. You know? <laughs> like that's it. It very quickly comes into the line of like, just avoidance for me. Like, right. She's just happy. She's good. She doesn't notice that the world is burning to the ground or that mm. our system is wild, you know, or it's, a, it can get a little hushing. Does that make sense? Like everybody's like, something's wrong. And the very like happy choice person's like, yeah, but I just love it here. Right. We just right, see right, the right. Pollyanna sunny side of this place. It'll be great. You know, everything yeah. will be fine right. instead of thinking critically. So maybe the question is, or maybe, the, yeah, the, my question is like, what is, what is being happy yeah. at work? How are we even measuring that? Right. And if, is it the same thing as what well, I think we often associate happiness with comfort yeah, and pleasure. Uh huh. And I don't think actually that happiness at work usually or always comes with either comfort <laughs> or pleasure. <laughs> Right? Because no. it is work, first of all. So it's not always pleasurable because it's work. It's like working out is not pleasurable. You and I, I know both as athletes, like we love to work out. I love the results of working out. I actually don't like working out. And uh -huh. when I start working out, I'm usually like, I hate this. <laughs> I want to stop right now. The whole time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. This is no fun. Yeah. The endorphins don't hit me halfway through. <laughs> they hit me at the end. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's that there's a piece of that that's true about work in terms of comfort, like some of my best jobs in the rearview mirror or moments in jobs are actually not the ones that were just comfortable. They were the ones that were sticky, hard, where I grew or like through some force I changed or we changed. Is that true for you? Yeah. Yeah. I was just trying to think of things that I feel very proud of in my life that were not that were not um, happy you know, but are the best. And there are like, there are a bunch, but there is also this piece of like, there were places where I was not happy and I was not thriving. Mm. It didn't have anything to do with being not happy. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think the happiness is a weird gauge. Are you having a happy mood right now? Great. That actually doesn't have much to do with your job. Right. Right. You might just have had a really great evening with your partner or, yeah, you, have, yeah. you know, you you're loving your new home or, you know, you may yeah. have something that's not connected. Well, and one of the things they do say in this fast company article and the author of that article, by the way, if anybody wants to look at it is, um, Jessica Thiefels, T H I E F E L S. And they talk about in the article that they, they're talking about how happiness is a, is a choice, but what they're connecting it to is like a commitment to self-actualization, like knowing the conditions in which you thrive and cho making choices that facilitate those conditions, which that I could get behind. And that's thriving. And that's thriving. Exactly. That's how we have defined in our work often thriving at work. Um, a choice to be at a place where generally over time you're thriving as opposed to, you know, and sometimes you might be happy, meaning comfort and pleasure. And sometimes yeah. you might be uncomfortable, but still thriving. Yeah. So one is an emote, one is like a feeling that you have, and one is a piece of your well-being. 
you yes. can thrive your way to happy. You cannot happy your way to thriving is what right. I'm right. I like that. You can thrive like, your way to being happy. <laughs> you can't happy your way to being thriving. That should go on a poster. Make a meme of that for our social media. All right, you'll you're see the it. creative you'll director. You'll see it. You'll see it. I, <laughs> one of the pieces in this, uh, Mo, I haven't read this article just to be clear, but Mo just told me before we started recording about what what the bullet points are, and one of them is to let go of your fixation of meaning. And I don't think actually that this is special to this article. Mm. I think I hear this all the time. I hear this on social. I hear this honestly from some of your boomer colleagues. What? No, not you. But like that feeling of if you just didn't care as much, mm. you wouldn't care as much. And that's hard for me to swallow. That's hard for me to swallow because how do we how do we have large goals of solving big problems without enveloping the meaning around that work, Mm. you know, that feels impossible to me to, and it feels a little bit like telling us to separate work and life Mm. or meaning and passion or whatever, like, Mm. which I don't think is possible. Maybe not yet for me, because my life is like a three day old PB and J sandwich in the back of my car. Like it is like one being, but I don't, I don't know. I, what I heard you say is that your life was like a three-day-old paper sandwich in the back of the car. And I'm not sure our listeners will understand quite what you're talking about there. It's mushy and mostly pea jelly. You know, like it's like all one entity. There's not very much separation between work and life okay. right now. It's like okay. peanut jelly. Right. <laughs> like my life is my work. My work is my life because of the meaning of it. Because even if I didn't work here, I don't think. I would need the meaning to be able to find thriving at the place yeah. that I work. Yeah, I, I agree. And that and might just re- be me. No, I don't think so. I mean, in, in my research with Cammie Dunaway for Fit Matters, How to Love Your Job, our first book, which, as you know, was a bestseller, which I feel proud of, right? Um, we really did, our research really did point to the importance of contribution and meaning to our thriving at work, which is like, I need to understand that what I'm doing in the world matters, and in particular matters to someone. Yeah. Right. But what I, what they're saying in this Fast Company article, at least in my memory, is they were talking about the, the part about like letting go of the fixation of with meaning was more about overly focusing on a relentless need to have everything mean something, you know, like as if you're um, it, because they, they, they talked in the article a little bit about being it being a little bit exhausting that if you're always looking for a purpose. You have to always have a purpose or or you're not value it's not valuable what you're doing and and in particular one part that stuck out from this piece that i really liked was that it can detract you from what's actually happening in the present Mm. you know in the present moment so it's very future oriented like will my time on this planet matter to the world in a bigger way is this job going to change the world as opposed to being like I got up and went to work today and I served four customers in a way that I felt good about. And that's enough. Totally. Yeah. So is it just, is it just a synonymous with resting? Like you're allowed to rest your brain. You're allowed Mm. to not worry about the future as intensely as you are. It could go to work. Yeah. It could be about resting. It could also be about being about not just overthinking the moment away. I, which I liked about what they were saying in this piece, like being able to say, you know what, it's enough, enough is enough today. Today, it's enough that I got to work on time. And I was kind to my colleague. 
and a finished project. Mm. Like that yeah. could be enough instead of like, I saved the rainforest or I, you know, I, I made a big difference to the nonprofit mission that I work for, or I saved a life. Like not every day can be that big. I think that's some of what they were saying. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? yeah. Which is yeah. true. I mean, some days, at least in my job, like some days I don't feel like what I do actually has big necessarily like higher order purpose, yeah. but it's like, I got through that spreadsheet. <laughs> Good yeah. job. Good yeah. Job. One of most colleagues and coaches, Susan Hyatt has a practice where she says goodbye to her desk every day. Have you heard about this? Mom? <laughs> yeah. She like says, she like puts her hands on her desk and says that is enough. And then just like closes her computer and lets it be. And it's yeah. um, in all the workshops I've been in with Susan Hyatt, that part gets the most activity in the chat. People freak out about that. Mm. It's like the most magical thing anybody's ever heard, which is like, maybe speaking to this thing that we do think the moment away. Yes. So. Yes. And, and being able to acknowledge and also what I hear in that practice from Susan, I've seen her do that too, is like, there's some grace mm -hmm. and self-compassion with like, I efforted, I showed up, I did the hard thing. And now to your point, now I do get to rest or now I get to set it away. It doesn't, I don't always have to be hustling and striving for the next hard thing, mm -hmm. which I think happens oftentimes in workplaces, which is where we feel like we're only as useful to our employer if we're tucked into the next hard thing. Yeah. As opposed to saying, well, no, actually I'm useful to my employer because I came and wiped down the counters today or, you know, whatever my job right. is. Well, here's a question for you. Do you think that some people do, people feel like they have to struggle and suffer at work and that they don't deserve to be happy? That happiness is a luxury item that you have to earn. At work or everywhere? <laughs> we'll start with at work. <laughs> well, we'll stay with our lane. PB&J. <laughs> yeah, PB&J <laughs> in the back of the car. All, all of it's all of it. I don't know. I'll be curious what you think. I, I do think like as, as a baby boomer, I think that the mental model that I got, I was talking about this to someone the other day was, you know, my friend and I were talking about hey, my generation. I sometimes feel like I, I was born into the house of work, which is like, you go to work, you work hard and it's work. So it's going to be hard, like, because it's work. It's not party time or like rest <laughs> it's different you know but but i don't think that's the same as like it should always be miserable because i i certainly don't have that mindset i don't think work should be miserable in order to feel like it's valuable but i do think we can in the workplace i do see a lot of um i see both ends of the spectrum i see chronic over focus on goal attainment and hustling for worthiness but i also see toxic positivity a positive outlook even when things are really bad you know like a company who's doing layoffs and they're like but it's all going to be good in the in the end it's like no actually not right now <laughs> you know it's very right bad now, right it now. sucks <laughs> it's really bad right now we had to let go of some colleagues yeah you know and so i think both ends of those spectrums can be tough one is like it's yeah. all storm and drone it's like work 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 it's horrible that's how work is or like it's all good everything's so great here yeah you know even when it's not which relates to something that I know we talk about in our signature program in the LPP, the LPP, the leading people program, for those that may not know, we do a bunch of assessments with leaders that come to that program. And one of the ones we do is an emotional intelligence assessments and assessment. And this did sync up for me, May, as addressing what you're saying about should work always be hard, which is that there is a, there is a lot of data that connects our 
overall thriving, our overall happiness to our emotional intelligence, which includes our capacity to be resilient when hard things happen, to recover our equilibrium, even when things are hard. So I think our emotional resilience, which has to do a lot with how we handle hard feelings and how we use our mindset to persevere. I think that that does show up at work, don't you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I would also just like to take a slight detour off this highway for you to tell the story about your emotional intelligence test and what happened to you. (laughs) Now, this was not part of the agreement in this podcast, but all right, I'll come clean. So what May is talking about is that I, in my CEO role, I have tended to have a fairly high self-esteem about my emotional intelligence because <laughs> I worked on it very hard. I've been in my profession a long time and I've had a lot of therapy. <laughs> so I was like empathy, right? Specifically on empathy. I am trained in the groundbreaking work of Dr. Brene Brown in the daring way and dare to lead, which is a lot about courage and vulnerability and how we use empathy as a tool to create connection. So I went into my own use of the tool, expecting my emotional intelligence to be high and in particular, my empathy to be high. But when I got my results, I was pretty high. I will (laughs) give myself that. She's a high performer, people. I'm a high performer. So my emotional intelligence overall was pretty high, but one of my lower leaning scores was empathy. And it shocked me. I was like, this must be wrong. Like most people, when they get an assessment, I'm like, this must be wrong. This state is horrible. But I didn't have time to talk to the interpreter of my assessment yet. We were talking the next day. So I showed it to my husband. I'm like, what do you think about this? I don't think this captures my empathy. And he literally (laughs) laughed out loud. He's like, no, it totally does. It totally does. And I was like, why? Why do you think my empathy is low? Why do you, what do you see? What do you experience? And his feedback was really helpful. He's like, well, you get really focused on action and results and you just move, you move towards those and whoever's in your way, like good luck. I love this story because Mo had to come clean to us because we as a team also were going to take this test. So it was a good, it was a good lead into us taking our own test and not being surprised. By the way, it's not a test just to clarify. (laughs) It's an assessment. Feels like a test. Assessments feel like tests. Let's <laughs> yeah, we can have a whole podcast on that. On what the difference is. Right. There was no SAT assessment. Let me just tell you. <laughs> Anyways, but the takeaways for me on that story are that all of those are skills. They're all muscles yeah. that can be built. Um, so when you're talking about resilience, and I think some people are like, "Wow, I'm just not. I'm not sunny." You know, like I'm not sunny. <laughs> I feel doom and gloom you know, or I don't feel that resilient here, or I don't feel that empathetic. All of those things are skills and can be honed, you know, and some of them may or may not have to do with the place that you're working. I think it's forgotten sometimes. The other thing I love about it is that (laughs) the shock of seeing actually what you are in that moment or what you might be perceived as or being experienced as might be surprising. Yeah. Um, and I think that too goes along with happiness that we might be shocked to find out that we might be thriving, but we don't feel that happy or the mm. vice versa of that, you know, and yeah. that, that doesn't mean that you're just in the wrong job. You know? It doesn't mean that you're garbage, right? It just means like there's things, there's things to look at. There's holes here or might not be yeah. your best place forever. I don't know. Yes. Yes. And nothing, you know, I don't think anymore that any place is your best place forever. And so I think noticing those things, like here's some pieces about this work that I love and here's some that I don't. And, and I have a little example for you. So when I was in college, I had, I was a work study uh, person. So I was on financial aid. So I had work study 
which meant that I had to, I worked at the language lab one time for a semester or something. And then I worked in the cafeteria, I worked at the bookstore, but the cafeteria was a really interesting job for me because I worked the cafeteria like from six to eight, like the late shift of the nighttime meal. And that's when the football team comes through. And these people, these men, they basically, because we, we were supposed to give one piece of protein. And I'm talking the hairnet and everything. I'm like to put, my job was put the protein on the plate. So I would like put the protein on the plate. They would eat it in line. Right there. Yeah. Right there. Like yeah, the yeah, chicken yeah, yeah, breast. Yeah. They would eat it. And then they'd be like, can I have my protein? And I'd be like, I gave you your chicken breast already. <laughs> And you already <laughs> ate it. And these guys were ginormous. They were so huge. And I remember at the first few weeks of the job, I was like, this job sucks. Like these guys, because there'd be the, you know, my my boss was in the corner looking at me, you know, Evelyn or whatever her Do name is. Do not give more chicken. Exactly. You, you can't just give back. away protein. Yeah. You know? But I remember thinking, like, I don't really love this. This isn't that fun. I'm intimidated by these football players. They're making fun of me. I was not Aww. a cool kid. You know, I had a hairnet on. But what I also remember being able to tap into, which I now can see was perhaps part of my emotional intelligence was like, you know what, you're not going to have this job forever. Mm. This is a job you're going to have for like this semester or whatever. And then that opened up some space for me about like, could you have some fun with this? And so I started like joking around with these guys like, oh, come on, you already ate your chicken breast. You can't have two until you've sat down once. And so then they'd like go sit down and run back, you know, to get their space <laughs> in the line. And uh, it was just, we just had fun with it. And I, and I got, oh, I got braver around like enforcing the rules, but also helping them have, they clearly needed the protein. <laughs> they are only protein. They, they are only protein. They made right. of protein. Yeah. Right. And they're working really, really hard, you know, I'm grateful for that moment. And in, in a job like that, where like I, I was able to see the bigger picture, which is like, you're not going to be serving food at this cafeteria from six to eight for the rest of your life. Yeah, This is a job for now. And, you know, it was for now. I think I did it for a year, you know, yeah. and then I got another work study job. But I think sometimes when we're really miserable at work, we can really feel like it won't ever yeah. end. Yeah. You know, and that is, I think the opportunity there is not always to just get a new job, but sometimes to think about our own thriving and to make some decisions, which is sort of where I'm in agreement with this article, to make some decisions to say, you know, I could thrive here, even though there are some pieces of this job that I don't really love right now. Because like in my case, in that job, it was a great job for me. I got to go to class all day. I was also an RA, so I was free at night. I made some extra money. It was, it worked for me, mm -hmm. even though it wasn't like that great of a job compared to some of the jobs I might've had at that age. Oh, I love that story. I was just, well, first of all, I was one of those athletes in that line. So I'm like, thank you for giving us more chicken. Yeah. But, <laughs> you were probably very protein starved. Also. Yeah. Oh, I have never eaten so much Captain Crunch in my life than when I was a college <laughs> athlete, but there, which isn't protein for the, for the record. I was just talking to a coaching client of mine about, about seasons that not everything happens in the same season that you can, you're allowed to have more seasons, in fact. And there is sometimes this push that not, maybe not even that it's like this job is miserable as it's going to last forever because it feels like it is, but more of, but maybe also that feeling of 
should I be doing something else? Am I missing out? Should I be doing this other thing? Am I not doing enough? Am I behind? Um, which I feel from some of my Gen Zers and my millennial friends is like that everybody is just like one step ahead of you, that you haven't done the thing that you're supposed to do, that you don't have enough money in your bank account that everybody's supposed to have, that you like don't have a solid system for organizing your kitchen. You know, like there's things that we got, whatever. And that everything is a season that every, you know, every job might be a season. Every situation is a season and maybe you're just not there yet. It's not winter yet. Now it's the protein season. The next (laughs) one's coming, you know, well, it's hard to see that there in the moment. It is, it is hard. And, and it, it, we sometimes, I sometimes refer to that as like temporal sensitivity. Like there's a time, just like you said, I love that season's language. There's a time and a place. Mm -hmm. And it's also the one thing you've underlined that I think is really powerful is to remember when it comes to happiness at work, that I am always making a choice. Mm-hmm. Like, even if I feel like I don't have a choice, which I have had jobs like that, where I felt like, oh, I am, I just, I have to do this job. I don't want to do this job, but I have to, either I need the money or it's the best job I can find in the community I've chosen to live in right now, or um, these are the only hours that I can do this job, whatever. We take jobs sometimes because we do feel that we have to. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be really freeing to say, you know what? It's actually okay and good for me mm-hmm. for taking a job that does. And that's where maybe this meaning thing circles back. It's like, it doesn't yeah. all have to mean something. It, what it means is that I get to pay rent. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I have somewhere to go. That I have somewhere to go. That someone's looking for me that day. Yes. That I'm busy. I have a, I have a client who had a sister who suffered for many, many years with clinical depression, Mm -hmm. really serious clinical depression. And one of the things that happened to her was that for many years, she, her depression was so severe that she couldn't work. Mm -hmm. And she ended up getting a job that was at a bookstore. It was a local bookstore. And she worked that job for 20 years. And it worked for her. She worked 40 hours a week. She went, she walked to work every day. And over the years, her depression came and went. It's a chronic condition. She was in treatment her whole life. But I was really struck with how, you know, that job meant so much to that human about like, I can actually be who I am with a chronic and debilitating long-term illness. And at the same time, have a place to go five days a week that Mm -hmm. matters and support myself, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where we can't, we can't get too hung up always on every day being happy, unicorns and rainbows, yeah. um, or having a big higher order mission because sometimes it is really a job mm-hmm. for these other reasons. Yeah. Wow, what a great I a bookstore for 20 years. That's so awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. She retired from that bookstore. Oh, you know, and um, yeah, it was really a really sweet story. By the way, that's my dream job. Like it, when I'm old, too old to work, I want to run like a bookstore, cafe, flower shop. Well, you heard it here, folks. If you're looking for someone in the next <laughs> 10 years, maybe 30, Mo is your person. That's where I'll be. I'm not letting her quit for another 30 years. <laughs> what would be your dream job if you could do just the job that like, sounds fun now it probably wouldn't be fun when you really had it i would name paint chips for sure all day long oh my gosh you (laughs) just so it's known on the podcast right now whoever has a relationship with sherwin williams may rats (laughs) you would be so good at naming paint chips i think i would get better with age too (laughs) i think i have not been good enough before now i'm like getting it sierra sunrise i know or is it blue cerulean blue (laughs) 
on that note on that note i i now know your alter ego job <laughs> and uh we're gonna be watching for that so uh, thanks perfect thank you thanks bye. man bye hey if you're listening to Let's Make Work Human right now, and you're a small to medium-sized business who's really struggling with creating a culture that's good for people so that you can attract and keep the people you need to run your business, make a profit, and meet your mission, you might be really interested in my new micro course that's launching in mid-August. In the show notes and on our webpage, you can find information about that course. It's a $99 spend, and it's going to be an awesome three-part series to give you the tools you need right now in this tough employment market. I hope to see you there.